Well, good morning, LCM. Good morning. You know, church, I'm, uh, I'm getting old. Not as old as Wade Sutherland, but I'm getting old. I preached my first message about 31 years ago on LSU's campus in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. However, today, today is a special day because I stand here with Abimbola Daramola in a lifetime of preaching. This is my first opportunity to preach with Abimbola. Yeah, we're going to see a new generation of leaders that will build our community's future and complete the things that started so very long ago in a dirty little garage. I want to let you guys know this morning that the excitement and the honor is mine. As I stand here next to Pastor Eric Stevens, or however you want to refer to him, man of God, it must mean that I'm the younger man on the stage. Yeah, handsome too. I want to let you guys know something. I've been at LCM for over seven years. And the Lord has blessed my life tremendously. Elsie, has he blessed your life? He's blessed me with a fantastic wife. Two amazing little girls. And in case that you didn't know, I have a son on the way. Yeah! We're raising future men in this house. Yeah, men, son. Men! LCM, we are excited this morning. As you can tell, we are on fire. The King of Glory is here in our midst, and we are living in special times. I want to tell you that we are still in the month of January 2024. And can you see what God has already done in our midst? There are pregnancies that are happening. There's weddings taking place. There's callings that are being solidified. LCM, he is breaking out his manifest presence in our very midst. LCM, he is leading us and has led us. And we want to show you this with the last few messages that have been preached from this pulpit. Check out this slide. Y'all remember the message, El Shaddai? El Shaddai! I mean, how could you forget a message like this? That message was inspiring. Thank you, Gabriel Stevens. Thank you, Elder Eric. Thank you, Luke Ledesma. These men taught us. They taught us about the name El Shaddai, the God that is enough, the God that is more than enough. And we also heard about the covenant-keeping God, Yahweh, Adonai. Yahweh! Listen, LCM, we're living in beautiful times. What about life-altering path? This was a message preached by Justin Linton and Rob Barnett, where they taught us about the patriarchs who had powerful experiences with the Lord that transformed generations forever. Oh, man, what about hammer and anvil tactics? Come on! Oh, Pastor Judah, thank you for that word. We learned about the enemy's schemes that are against the people of God, the two-pronged attack. But because we have a God that is above every other God, we serve the I am that I am. We serve the ancient of days. We serve the one who looks at the tohu vavohu and says, let there be light. And our God answers, LCM, our God answers with a two-pronged solution for us. Fire for effect, man, Assad, the angelic assassination of shame, and Paul Rosales, they told us about this message. They told us that when we are being shot at by the enemy, we don't cower in fear, but we stand up and we fire back with the very word of God. They told us to shoot, to move, to communicate with our very brothers, to cover each other's back, to walk in transparency. What about offensive faith? Man, thank you, Pastor. Slap you with the Torah, P. Rowe. And thank you, Justin Linton. 
Man, these men were on fire for the living God. In fact, John 2, 20, John 2, 17 marks these men. Zeal for your house consumes me. They taught us about the two-pronged solution, LCM. The first, man, we got to steal ourselves because we know the God that we serve. And secondly, we must move forward with faith-filled actions. What about valley to valley? Somebody say valley to valley. Valley to valley. I'm so proud of Gabriel Stevens and Gabe Sutherland. I'm talking about two Gibbies. Yes, double G. So proud of these men. They taught us about the relationship between Moses and Joshua. They taught us things like God will call up Moses on a mountain, not even mention Joshua, but because Joshua had a relationship in discipleship with Moses, he knew that he also needed to be there. He was there. He was there. We love that familiar relationship. We love the intimacy that we saw between those two men. We saw that Joshua first shows up in the book of Exodus in chapter 17 in the valley and then finds himself in another valley in the book of Joshua. And he is now a man as serving as Moses to other men. Further in the very call of God. Look, we're truly blessed to be surrounded by the lives, the kind of lives that produce this kind of teaching. As I stand here with a Joshua-like figure in Abambola, the beautiful thing is that he is also Moses to men like the two Gabes. Proper discipleship and relationship to the Lord always makes you Moses to some and Joshua to others. You should be both. We have a responsibility to be developed. Somebody say amen. amen. But you also have a responsibility to develop all of the other lives that are around you. Yeah, it's almost like I need my brothers and my brothers need me. This ensures that the kingdom will move forward properly in every generation without gap, without stalling, without stagnation. As we get into our subject today, we'll be reminding you of the life of Joshua. He started out as a young aide, but he ended up as a father to a nation. We want to understand and we want to be able to imitate his kind of behavior, the things that caused this in the life of a believer. Somebody say, I'm moving forward. I'm moving forward. Look, one of the first things that I want you to consider when you're thinking about Joshua is one that you probably skip over in genealogies. We're not going to turn to it. I just want you to write it down. First Chronicles chapter 7, verses 20 through 27. The very first thing you should know about, John, uh, about Joshua is one of the last things that people actually consider. That passage identifies Joshua as the firstborn son of an Ephraimite yeah. named Nun. Firstborn. Think about what that means in the actual Passover itself. Mm. That means that Joshua was one of the firstborn sons who the death angel passed over because he was saved by the blood of the lamb. Yeah. Isn't that where all good things start? Can somebody celebrate salvation in the blood of the lamb? Hallelujah. Joshua was covered with the blood of the lamb. How extraordinary is that? In fact, when we think about Joshua, in Numbers chapter 27, verse 15, we're not going to read it. Joshua is ordained. And look at what it actually produces in his life. We're going to put this up on the screen. This is Deuteronomy chapter 34, verse 9 in the ESV. Listen to this. 
And Joshua, the son of Nun, was full of the spirit of wisdom, for Moses had laid his hands on him. So the people of Israel obeyed him and did as the Lord had commanded Moses. Elson, we want you guys to know about this verse, is that Joshua is the answer to Moses' prayer. Does anybody like having their prayers answered by God? Joshua was the answer to Moses' prayer. You could say that Joshua was everything that Moses' life was actually aiming at. The inheritance, the victory, all the promises that God had for the nation of Israel that he spoke to Moses. Joshua is the teleos of all of this. Elsie, we want to say when you know who you are and you know who your God is and you know that you're filled with the very spirit of God, his Ruach HaKodesh, and empowered by him, LCM, you cannot lose. Say that with me. I cannot lose. I cannot lose. When you have a proper relationship to discipleship, to the word, to your savior, something happens. Number one, you begin to know who you are. Number two, you start to know who your God is in a way that empowers you. I want you to catch the fact that what Abimbola said is that Moses prayed for Joshua. I don't mean he identified Joshua and prayed with him. I mean, the cry of Moses' heart was who will lead this people. And Joshua was the answer. If you're sitting out here and you already know who you are in the kingdom and you know who God is to you, your heart's cry should be that God give you a Joshua. The third thing we want you to know about Joshua is that Jewish tradition says that he was a hakham. You probably remember this from some of our written materials. Numbers 13.8 identifies Joshua's name actually as Hoshea, the name born by Joshua before it was changed. In Numbers 13.16, his name changes from Hoshea. Wow, that slide's awful. That changed. I'm sorry, Justin, that the Hebrew's not there. Okay, you, you can interpret it for him later. It is key to our message today, but you might want to write down that his name is Hoshea. Yeah. And it was changed by Moses, not as much changed is adapted. Something was added to his name. Hoshea means to save or salvation or deliverance. And that is what his namesake was when he was born. But discipleship didn't really change his name. Jesus may change your name. Being transformed may change your name. But discipleship is not to fundamentally change who you are. It takes what God has made you, like Hoshea, salvation and deliverance, and it adds more of God's name and character. So Hoshea became Yahoshua. In other words, the name of Yahweh was added to him. This is incredible. Elsim, the fourth thing we want you guys to know about Joshua is that Jewish tradition says that Joshua wrote, wrote Deuteronomy chapter 34, verses 10 through 12. Listen to this. And there had not risen a prophet since in Israel like Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face. None like him for all the signs and the wonders that the Lord sent him to do in the land of Egypt, to Pharaoh and to all his servants and to all his land. And for all the mighty power and all the great deeds of terror that Moses did in the sight of Israel. How beautiful is that? Do you guys hear how honoring Moses 
uh, how honoring Joshua is of Moses. He says things like there was not another prophet that had arisen like Moses, that there was none like him. You can hear the intimacy that they had in discipleship. You can tell that they didn't just meet on a coffee break here once in a while, but they actually did life together. You can hear him showing gratitude towards Moses and what Moses did in his life. In fact, you can see the indestructible link between one generation to another generation between Moses and Joshua. They overlapped. By more than 40 years. And as much as Joshua writes about Moses and says there was none that was like him. Nobody did the kind of signs and wonders that he did. Today one of the passages that we'll be covering is that the stellar realm stopped when Joshua spoke. So I love the way that disciples honor those that discipled them. But where the real glory is, is when the man like Moses gets to see Joshua doing far greater things. Yeah, Yeah, come on. The other thing that you should know about Joshua, he's one, say one, One. of only two men in Israel who actually physically left Egypt and also entered physically into the promised land. Look, these kind of experiences... They'll take you from a young aide and turn you into an elder and a father to a nation. It's important to have been there from the beginning all the way through the end. And I got to tell you, if you just got here, this is your beginning. Make sure you're here all the way through the end. It'll develop you. It'll take you from a young aide and a disciple, and it'll turn you into a father to a nation and a generation. I love this, and I can tell Paul's fired up. It's one thing to start a thing, LCM. It's completely different to start and to finish. Nick Rosales, you can relate to this. Going to a job for Pertec, it's one thing to start. It's another to start and to finish. And to hear that Joshua was one out of two men who started in Egypt but ended up in the promised land. Talk about deep convictions. One, of the, one thing else that we want you to know about Joshua, we can say this is number six, is in addition to those deep convictions, Numbers chapter 14, verse 10 says that both Joshua and Caleb stood on behalf of the Lord while the rest of the nation turned their back on the Lord through their faith unfaithfulness. Two men stood when a nation defected. Look, that's what real discipleship, real interaction with the word, real relationship with the Heavenly Father will actually do. Joshua's first appearance in the scriptural narrative is, of course, Exodus 17, 9. He shows up for the purpose of destroying the Amalekites. Like there's no hint of him until there's a war. This sounds very much like 1 John 3, 8. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. Look, in our time of the therapeutic gospel, where what's being preached is, look, I want to rub your back and tickle your ears and make you feel like you've had some kind of special inner healing. You need to realize the reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. We're going to put a dent in it today. Look, we could go on about the life of Joshua, but we actually want you to have a grasp on the book of Joshua. We're living in important times. In fact, we're at least 2,000 years into what the apostles referred to in their day As the last days. Wow. That's sobering. The entire book of Joshua serves as a precursor, 
as a foreshadowing to the book of the apocalypse or the revelation. We're going to run through a few highlights quickly for you. Things that are found in both books. All right. So in both books, in Joshua and Revelation, we have two witnesses and two spies. In Joshua's day, he sent two spies into Jericho. Pastor Eric, when we were studying, I was thinking, Joshua sends two spies into Jericho, but in the book of Numbers, he was one out of 11 spies. And Ted came back with a bad report, and only two came back with a good report, him and Caleb. It's almost like Joshua learned from the past failure in the book of Numbers and only sends two spies to Jericho to get the job done. Do you mean to tell me that discipleship improves things? Do you mean to tell me we don't have to repeat the mistakes of the past? There's no reason to send 12 spies if 10 of them are going to bring back an unfaithful report. How about we just hear from God and pick the right two the first time? You've already heard that in the book of Joshua, there are two spies. As well, in the book of Revelation, two witnesses of God's promise that are utilized upon the earth. That's good stuff. Both books, both Revelation and Joshua, well, they are a military campaign that is tied to the Revelation or the successive series of exactly seven trumpets. That's true in both books. In both books, Joshua and Revelation, you find the defeat of enemy armies under an antichrist king. In the book of Joshua, it was Adonai Zedek. And in the book of Revelation, it is the Antichrist himself. In both books, there are dramatic signs in the heavens. In both books, the time of conquest is exactly seven years. Now, I'm not going to slow down to go through the math. But those of you that take notes, here's how you can derive that. Joshua 14:7. Caleb is 40 years old at the first incident with the spies. Then in verse 10, he's 85 years old at the receiving of his inheritance. Somebody say that's 45 years. Then in Deuteronomy 2, 14 through 18, it says that there were 38 years until they returned and began fighting in Heshbon. That's found in verse 24. Well, from 45 to 38 leaves exactly seven years. These books are put in parallel for a reason. LCM, under close examination, the book of Joshua seems to be a precursor to the book of Revelation, where you find another Yehoshua, a commander-in-chief, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the son of David, will dispossess planet Earth of its usurpers, first sending two witnesses, then with a series of judgments of sevens, finally defeating the kings with signs in the sun and moon, while the kings of the earth all find themselves hiding in caves. Come on, is that good? You know what's even better than that? The structure of the book of Joshua itself teaches us how to produce men like Joshua. Would you like to learn how to produce men like Joshua? Yes. It turns out that the book of Joshua is structured like the Tanakh. If you want to make men like Joshua, consider how you can break down the book of Joshua. Chapters 1 through 5, they're all about entering the battle for the land. In other words, what you have to form in your heart to be able to do that. That is exactly like the Torah in the the Tanakh. It's the first section of the Tanakh. 
Then in chapter 6 through 12, it's all about overcoming the enemy. To do that, you have to have your soul warned about the potential and what must be done to overcome it. That's very much like the Nevim or the prophets in the Bible. Then the last third of the book of Joshua, chapter 13 through 24, it's all about occupying the land. In other words, how you walk faithfully in your historical settings. If you're new to this idea, understand that's law, prophets, writings before there were the prophets and writings written. The book of Joshua reveals the design of the whole Bible in the single book. Look, we're raising men who will have all the strengths of Moses and all of the strengths of Aaron, that whole previous generation, but they're not plagued by any of their weaknesses. Moreover, they don't stay young aides forever. They're not mere wee little apprentices, okay? They become Moses to an entirely new generation. That's the exciting thing is Joshua becomes the Moses figure. We do this by embracing the full counsel of God's word. The word that forms the heart. The word that warns the soul. The word that informs your actions within your historical context. This is an exciting thing. Leaders raised in the manner that Joshua was raised in, they know who they are. And, and... They know who El Shaddai is to them. Come on. Can I tell you this is a powerful two-pronged solution to every attack that the enemy may throw at you? Yeah, it is a powerful solution. LCM, I've learned many things in this church, and I want to tell you something. That the most important thing that I picked up from the overview of Joshua is the attitude of Joshua himself. He defeats the world, i.e. Jericho, by leaning on the Lord and only the Lord alone. They went around the walls of Jericho with no weapons, and God brought the walls down, and they had victory. You find out that Joshua saved the Gentile Grafton's like Rahab and the Gibeonites. Yeah. Man, we're not Jewish, but aren't we glad to be Gentile Grafton's? I'm kind of loving it. Aren't you glad, LCM? Yeah. See, he saved the Gentile Grafton's like Rahab and the Gibeonites. He goes on to fight for and completes God's promised inheritance to Israel. He gives them the allotment of the land. He is also the desire of Moses, i.e. the law fulfilled. And he does all of this by trusting solely in the living word of God. I like it. I love it. I want some more of it. I do too. Come on, trusting in the word. LCM, the book of Joshua is an active, victorious. It teaches us that our faith has to be on the offensive. In other words, it is about the victory of faith in action. Victory of faith in action. And one of the key verses in the book of Joshua, it has to be. It certainly has to be Joshua. Chapter 1, verse 8. Listen to this, LCM. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened and do not be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Oh man, what I love about this passage. And there's many things else in my love about Joshua 1, 8 and 9. Is that a man is not speaking here to Joshua. As amazing as it is to get words from brothers and pastors, it is amazing. 
What's even more amazing as in how much more is that it is God himself speaking to Joshua. It is Yahweh Sabaoth. It is the Lord of heaven's army. It is the God who has a river in his presence and also fire in his presence that is speaking to Joshua. He's a God that brings water from a rock. He's a God that brings matter from heaven. He's the God that causes that army to be blind. He's the God that does whatever he wants to do. And he's speaking to Joshua to instill confidence into his son. LCM, when you know your God and you know who you are, it changes everything. When you know that he is with you because you are with him, you cannot lose, LCM. Oh, my God. Did you hear that, Quentin? You cannot lose. How would you act if you knew you could not lose? When you know who you are and you know who your God is to you. You cannot lose. Yeah. I want to remind each of you right now that God breathed into a pile of dirt Come on. and made a perfect image of himself in a man. Come on. Please don't tell me, don't try to convince me that your lack of anything is a significant problem for him. He doesn't experience a substantial difficulty because of your deficit. He can breathe into dirt and make a man. And I might be proof that he does it all of the time. Same here. You must begin to grab hold of who he says you are. You have to answer the identity question in your life. You must also grab hold of who El Shaddai is to you. This will answer your empowerment question in your life. When you know who you are, it's not hard to figure out what to do. When you know who he is to you, it's not hard to figure out how you'll do it. Turn with us in your Bible to one of the more astounding contrasts in all of the scripture. You want to see an astounding contrast? I do. Okay, so we're going to be in Joshua 6. And I need you in your Bible. If you don't have a Bible, we'll get you a Bible. If you don't love your Bible, then we are going to help you love your Bible. Joshua 6, we're going to be in verse 27. So the Lord was with Joshua, and his fame was in all the land. No chapter break. But! But! Man, that's not a big, beautiful but. That's kind of an ugly but. But the people of Israel broke faith in regard to the devoted things. For Achan, the son of Carmi, the son of Zabdi, the son of Zerah, of the tribe of Judah. I love all the descriptors when somebody breaks faith. So you know exactly who it was. Took some of the devoted things. And the anger of the Lord burned against the people of Israel. Look, the astonishing contrast between the last verse of chapter 6 and the first verse of the seventh chapter is probably the second greatest thesis in all of the scriptures. I mean, how many passages are about the faithfulness of God and the unfaithfulness of man? Plenty. But I say it's the second greatest thesis because the only story emphasized with more veracity in all of the Bible is the ability of your God to save you anyway. Yeah, Yeah, he can breathe into you and save you. 
Now, in this church, we are not just interested in being saved. We're determined to be agents of salvation That's on right. the earth. What is it that wars so greatly against faith-filled action in your life? I'm going to suggest to you that it's thoughts of your own failures and your own periods of unfaithfulness. Yes. Or for some of you, it's thoughts of other people's failures and unfaithfulness, especially if you were responsible for leading them. Did you guys notice that Joshua was once young? I mean, it's, it's hard to imagine. Ivy, I was once young. I mean, I used to be your age. I know it's hard to imagine that old people were once young. And now at this point, he is one of the two oldest men in Israel at large. I mean, are you considering that? He comes in as a young aide. Now, he and Caleb are the oldest two people in the nation, if Caleb's still alive. Joshua started out as a young warrior and a disciple, but he grew into an elder and father of the nation. So, did he arrive at that place without a significant list of failures? No. Did he arrive at that place without documented periods of unfaithfulness? No. Did he arrive at that place without the grotesque failure and unfaithfulness of the people that he was responsible for leading? No. The answer is, of course not. As we get into this example of a young disciple in aid who turned into an elder and a father for a nation, well, we probably should give this message a title. I mean, we're 29 minutes in. We ought right. to tell him what we're talking about. Yeah, do you guys want to know the title of today's message? The title of today's sermon is Sofron. Somebody say Sofron. They oh, have no yeah, idea. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're just going to help you out. When we say Sofron, we are well aware that word means very little to you. Unless you've been hanging out with Elder Eric this week. But we're going to make sure that by the end of today, you are going to love it and remember it forever. So with that being said... Let's look at a few classic passages about the word sophron. Yeah. So we have three scriptures on the screen. First is uh, 1 Timothy 3.2 says this. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach. The husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled. That word there is sophron. Respectable, hospitable, able to teach. What about Titus 1.7? For an overseer, as God's steward, must be above reproach. He must not be arrogant or quick-tempered or drunkard or violent or greedy for gain, but hospitable, a lover of good, sophron, self-control, upright, holy, and disciplined. What about Titus 2.2? Older men are to be sober-minded. Isn't that a good thing? Dignified, self-control. That word there is sophron, sound in faith, in love, and in steadfastness. Now, if you guys are like me and you've read 1 Timothy 3, 2, Titus 1, and Titus 2. You probably read this most of your life and came away with thinking that this describes an older man who was disciplined. And, and in and of itself, that's not actually wrong. No, it's or, a good thing. Or maybe an older person that controls their temper or something along the lines like that. The truth is the word does imply all of those things. 
but it is used to describe an elder for an entirely different reason. Do you want to learn what the different reason is? Check out this next slide. Sophron. Here's what Vine says about the adjective. Sophron, this is Greek number 4998, denotes of sound mind from sozo. Somebody say sozo. Sozo. Which means to save. And friend. Say friend. Friend. The mind. Hence, self-control, sober-minded, always rendered, sober-minded, sober-tempered, discreet. What we want you to catch in this is when we say the word sophron, you should have in mind a saved mind. That's what it means. So whatever self-control an elder displays is because he has a saved mind. Okay, you're writing and I get it. I want, I want this to be embedded in your soul for a minute. As we move forward, every time you hear the word sophron, you need to think about possessing a saved mind. Now, of course, you get that the moment you meet Jesus. That's what salvation is. I mean, even the demoniac called Legion in Mark 5, 15, he he is given sophron. He is given a right mind. When the demons left, he was clothed. And in his right mind, or another way to say that, is his saved mind. Okay, so cool. We get it when we're born again. Why are we talking about elders having it? Because getting it the first time is not the problem. How does one keep a saved mind through trials, through failures, and even unfaithfulness? I mean, have you ever... Look, I don't know what it was like in your house. The Browns... The Browns always spoke to each other so sweetly and kindly. They were a great example for me. But in my house, somebody might say, you lost your mind. They may have even put a, a, a modifier in there. Not necessarily an expletive, just a modifier in there. Have you ever lost your mind? Or to a new generation, that brother lost his... Oh, I don't even know how that goes. Um, the answer is that you have to keep in your mind that which saves. Wow. You want a saved mind? Yes. You've got to keep in your mind the things that save. Mm. Here's how one lexicon described the man who is sophron or who has a saved mind. This is good. The man who is sophron walks among the beauties and perils of the world feeling the love they love carlos the joy and the anger and the rest and through all he has that in his mind which saves whom does it save not only him but as we should say the whole situation yeah it saves the imminent evil from coming into being. Come on. Look, so I got a question for you. Is it only the old guy, the elder, who is to be sophron or to have a saved mind? No. The process starts when you're a young aide. I mean, an itty bitty little disciple. Because you're also a future elder. Look at what Paul told Titus. This is Titus 2.6. Likewise, urge the younger men... To be self-controlled. <laughs> yeah. I, I want to help you with how this works for those of you that have looked these up. The adjective sophron is how you should be described in every situation. 
In other words, always keeping your saved mind by keeping in your mind that which saves. But in this passage we just read, it's the verb, sophroneo. That's what you should be found doing during every trial, every obstacle, every failure. You should be protecting and developing your saved mind by keeping in your mind that which saves at all times. Elsam, isn't this good? It's revelatory. So I told you guys early at the beginning of this message that I've been here for over seven years. And can I tell you that I have learned a lot of things over seven years. The elders in this church have taught me the following. To watch my thoughts, for they become my words. And to watch my words, for they become my actions. And to watch my actions, for they become my habits. And to watch my habits, for they become my character. And to watch my character, for it will determine my destiny. LCM, the ability to show action-oriented, victorious faith is directly connected to your ability to face setbacks, failures, trials, obstacles, difficulties, while keeping in your mind that which saves you and the whole situation. The whole situation! LCM, this kind of practice puts you in a position in which you cannot lose, Cody Stevens. This will, LCM, this, this will determine your destiny. So you can tell that we're on fire. I am. You can tell that our, our hearts are beating fast, not because we're nervous, but because we're trying to keep up with what God is doing here in our midst. LCM, we are going to be in Joshua chapter 10 very shortly. We're actually very eager to get there. But we want to set some context of the chapter for you. We want you to take note that Joshua, when you look at his life, he stifles his eternal thoughts. He stands up and moves in faith. He does this LCM because he's a man who knows who he is and he knows who the Lord is to him. This reminds me of Matthew Pirro. Yeah, One of the things that God taught him early on was this beautiful expression. You ready for it? Dirt, get down. He was speaking to that filth that tried to enter his mind. And you know what you do when you get the dirt down? Dirt, get down. You stand up and you walk on it. Okay, you got to stifle those inner thoughts and you got to stand up and you got to move in faith. LCM, Joshua. Say Joshua. Joshua. He possessed a saved mind and he kept that which saves in his mind at all times. LCM, this was the key to Joshua's success. And it is why the book of Joshua opens up with the following admonition. We've already read it once, but it's worth reading again. How many times have you read a scripture that blessed you some years ago? And then you came across it again, and it blessed you double times over. So let's read Joshua chapter 1, verse 8. How many times you hung one on your wall, and it was beautiful, and it was excellent in its description, but somehow or another its familiarity began to fade the sharpness of its meaning to you because you hung it on your wall. I used to write scriptures on my mirror in the bathroom back when I used to shave. 
so that every day I would see them. Do you know that after about the third or fourth day, I didn't even see the letters there anymore? Even though they're there. Friends, you got to get it off your wall and in your mind. And if what you need to do is rotate the pictures in your house, rotate your scripture cards, you got to get it off the wall and in your mind. You got to keep in mind that which will save your whole situation every time. Let's just hit another one. If you have three by five index cards and the, the, your ink is fading in your card, it's time to rewrite your card. It's, re- it's time to rewrite your Abigails. It's time to rewrite your 12 gates. It's time to rewrite those memorial stones that God gave you. So Joshua chapter 1 verse 8. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth. But you shall meditate on it day and night. So that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous. And then you will have good success. Have I, com- have I commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened and do not be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. LCM, this is that which saves. This is what the man with the saved mind must keep in his mind at all times. The very word of God. This is Sophron. And it will save you and the whole situation. I love that. It doesn't just save you, which is nice. But it saves the entire situation that is at hand. LCM, Joshua knew who he was because discipleship and the word of God told him who he was. That's what's built this church. The very word of God in the discipleship process is what you've seen that has been implemented in our lives. And that's why we have ministries all over the world because God has blessed this because it is the biblical foundation and pattern. In addition to that, Joshua knew who El Shaddai was to him. Oh man, the God that is enough. He knew this because of discipleship and the word of God told him who his God was. LCM, this kind of sophron allows you to stifle those inner warring thoughts and then to stand up and move in action-oriented faith to save the whole situation. Not just save yourself. Save the situation. Yeah. Look, the lead up to Joshua 10 is an epic display of the struggle for Sophron. I want to show you the struggle for Sophron. Joshua 6 detailed the miraculous success at Jericho. Help me out. Somebody say, that's good. That's good. Joshua 7 detailed the epic failure at Ai, where Joshua didn't inquire of God before the battle, and there happened to be sin in the camp. Help me out. Somebody say, that's bad. That's bad. Then Joshua 8 detailed the overwhelming success at I. That's good. Joshua 9 details the epic failure with the Gibeonites, where again, Joshua does not inquire of God before making a treaty with the enemy. That's bad. Let's put this into perspective. Joshua has made the same mistake twice in four chapters. These are not trivial mistakes. They cost human lives. These mistakes were public and on display before all the nations. Kind of like when Joe Biden falls off of a stage or greets an imaginary guest. How do you feel? How would you feel if you were Joshua? 
Yeah, dig into that for a minute. Could you be a little depressed? I've seen you get depressed over less. How would you react? I mean, what would you do if you were Joshua? Would you shrink back into your tent somewhere at the end of Joshua 9 and hide there all the way through Joshua 10? Joshua was a well-discipled man. Joshua had a saved mind. And he kept in his mind that which saves at all times. Joshua meditated on the word of God and was actually promised by the word of God that he would be successful. This kind of man cannot lose. Do you want to lose? No. What's that sign say right there? I want to win. Yeah, I want to win. He knew who he was to God. His identity came from God. And he knew who God was to him. We know that that's true from his faith-filled movement that we're about to encounter in chapter 10. Now, while you're thinking about how you would have reacted, you know, like the, like the Sunday morning armchair quarterback. You know what I'd have done? Eating some more donuts? Yeah. Uh, I want to remind you of some things. The Jordan River. The Ha Yardin. Jordan means descender. It was the site of the biggest failure in Israel's history. Remember, they get up to the Jordan. They find giants in the land. And they don't want to go in the land. And they go have, have to go back to the desert again. Somebody say, that's bad. That's bad. Of course, the Jordan River was the site of Israel's biggest success. When the whole nation saw the waters divide and then crossed it. Hallelujah. That's good. That's good. The same place of failure became the place of success. The battle of Ai was the location of Israel's first defeat in their history. Somebody say, that's bad. Of course, the second battle of Ai was the location of a great victory. That's good. The first encounter with the Gibeonites was a terrible failure. They made a treaty without inquiring of God. That's bad. Of course, the second encounter with the Gibeonites, it'll be one of the most supernatural events in all of human history. That's good. Could it be, church, that your previous failures... Are simply setting the stage for your next supernatural victory. Come on, man. Everything that's happened in your life up to this point might just be aligning the planets for the next victory. How important is it to have a saved mind? Moreover, to keep in your mind that which saves at all times. Elsim, do you guys want to take hold, grab hold, possession of Sophron? Then LCM, let us embrace the circumstances that put you in a position to grab hold of Sophron, yeah. to develop Sophron in you. To you have... mean you can't get it from just reading a lexicon? No, you can't. You mean if you wrote that note down earlier? Oh, Sophron, Sozo, yeah. friend, save mine. I got it. No, you ain't got it. Yeah. You just wrote it. Come on. You got to get it, and it's yeah. got to get into you. Yeah, and we're going to look at circumstances that help us to display Sophron. So you guys turn to Joshua chapter 10 because you're going to want to see this. We get to say Sophron. Sophron. We're going to pick up in verse 1 and we're reading in the E-S-V. Check this out. As soon as Adonai Zedek, king of Jerusalem, 
heard how Joshua had captured Ai and had devoted it to destruction, doing to Ai and its king as he had done to Jericho and its king, and how the inhabitants of Gibeon had made peace with Israel and were among them. He feared greatly because Gibeon was a great city like one of the royal cities and because it was greater than I and all its men were warriors. So Adonai Zedek, king of Jerusalem, sent to Hoham, king of Hebron, to Piram, king of Jarmuth, to Jephat, king of Lakash, and to Deber, king of Eglon, saying, Come up to me and help me and let us strike Gibeon, for he has made peace with Joshua and with the people of Israel. Verse 5. Then the five kings of the Amorites, the king of Jerusalem, the king of Hebron, the king of Jarmuth, the king of Lachish, and the king of Eglon gathered their forces and went up with all their armies and encamped against Gibeon and made war with them. All right, LCM. This passage is, is full of difficult names. You just watch me work through that. Hey, you did it excellently. Hallelujah. Does anybody find fault with this enunciation? Or... So think about this, because we don't want you to dismiss what you just heard. Adonai Zedek is leading a coalition of five kings in a war effort against Israel. And if the Gibeonites had not run to Joshua and allied themselves with Joshua, as in like, make a treaty with us, we would have... A coalition of six kings. Yeah. LCM, catch this. Sometimes even your mistakes are used by God to help you. No, they, they, they didn't get it. If the Gibeonites had not joined with Israel, then Israel would be facing six kings, not five. Okay, your, your reaction wasn't good enough, so let's, let's think about it this way. Let me just throw it right out there. Valentine, would you rather fight six men... Or five men. Okay, we got it. Got it. The mistake actually worked to make the situation better. Elsim, isn't that incredible? There's nothing that our God cannot bring life out of. See, look, LCM, the point is that you should never underestimate what your God can do with your mistake. Genesis 3. Man, yep. they, got, they, they screwed everything up in Genesis 3. Adam did. And yet the Lord said, a seed is coming that is going to crush the serpent's head. Are you but, saying that God's bigger than your mistake? He's bigger than our mistakes. LCM, remember that he is the God who can breathe into dust and make man in his image. Your failures are not really substantial obstacles when you are a son of God, as in the, the son of the most high God, as in Yahweh, LCM. <laughs> Have y'all heard that everything found in the human body is also found in common potting soil? Mm. Have y'all heard that? Yeah. Yeah, well, get your own soil. <laughs> God didn't even need the soil to make the man. He made the soil, and from it, in his breath, he made the man. Don't you believe for a minute that God can't breathe into your situation? He is your son, or you are his son. What he might actually be doing is aligning things for a more supernatural deliverance. Is there anybody in this room that is committed to having a less supernatural life? No. Who in this room would like a supernatural life? Yeah. You're going to make some mistakes along the way. Yeah. And you will experience supernatural delivery. Yeah. 
LCM, there's something else we want you to take note of here in Joshua chapter 10. It's verse 2. It says, Adonai Zedek feared greatly. Yeah. Then the question is, who did he fear? He feared Joshua and the entire nation of Israel. Apparently, the mistakes that Joshua made were not as big in Adonai Zedek's mind as Joshua's God was. So we know that it was a mistake for him to make a treaty with the Gibeonites. Are you saying that sometimes the mistake is bigger in the mind of the believer than it actually is in the enemy's mind? Yeah. Yeah, we might have to get a clue from this passage, huh? Yeah. Elsim, this is beautiful. We're, we're men and women who are being perfected. And we make mistakes along the way. The word of God says in Proverbs, though a righteous man falls seven times, he rises again, but the wicked stumble in cal- cal- calamity. LCM, your mistakes cannot overturn what God has said about you, Chris Rosora. Your mistakes cannot overturn what God says about you, Nick Rosales. If he can take from dust and breathe a perfect man, how much more a son of God, a woman of God who is filled with his word, who is filled with his spirit, then he can bring what he said he is going to do in your life. LCM, have you made your mistakes bigger than your God in your mind? We want to tell you, this is not Sophron. This is not Sophron. Come on. LCM, Sophron is a saved mind that knows the delivering power of Adonai. Yes! This is like, Who is your yeah. God to you? Yeah, this is Job. This is Job going through his difficult circumstances and says, Hey, I might die. I might flesh may perish, but I will see my maker stand upon the dust of the ground. And he's talking about the resurrection. Else, it doesn't matter what we go through. Our God is enough. Our God is a covenant-keeping God. See, LCM, Sophron is a mind that keeps that which saves in mind at all times. I want to tell you guys that Joshua knew who, who, knew who his God was. He knew what God said about him despite his mistakes. Joshua knew who God was to him in the midst of his failures, in the midst of his mistakes. And we want to tell you, LCM, there are key elements in developing an action-oriented, victorious faith. And we want to ask you a question. Do you want this kind of faith, LCM? Do you want a victorious faith? Yes. Look, when we're talking about Sophron, we're not really thinking about positive thinking. You can get that from Captain Colgate up the road. We're talking about knowing who God says that you are and knowing who God is to you at all times. Church, you're going to have to grab hold of your identity in the kingdom. You're going to have to show faith that you are who God says that you are. Then you're going to have to know who God is to you in any and every situation. This allows you to move through, let's just say, murky situations with the clarity of action-oriented, victorious faith. Anybody experience some murky situations? Yeah. Look at verse 6. And the men of Gibeon sent to Joshua... At the camp in Gilgal saying, do not relax your hand from your servants. Come Come up to us quickly and save us and help us. For all the kings of the Amorites who dwell in the hill country 
are gathered against us. I need you to embrace this verse with me. All right? Hey, y'all raise your hands. Amen. Now stick them out a little bit. Yeah, pretend you're hugging this verse. We're going to wrestle with it for a minute. Okay. In chapter 9, the Israelites had difficulty. We didn't read it, but they actually had difficulty in fighting the urge to kill the Gibeonites. Now, they are being asked to defend them in chapter 10. You ever had trouble not killing somebody and then later you're asked by God to advocate for them? (laughs) In chapter 9, the Gibeonites claimed, they claimed, they claimed to come from very, very far away. Very, very far. And it was a deception. Now, now in chapter 10, they're appealing to their closeness with Israel. This reminds me so much of my relatives. I got born again, and suddenly they were very, 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 very far away. Like you're in a different world. Then they had a problem. We are your own flesh and blood. Come pray for us. Come help us. I'm sick. Nobody's ever had that. Okay. I have. Not a problem. In chapter 9... Joshua failed to inquire from God. We've said that a thousand times. Now he's being asked to risk the lives of Israelis to protect the Gibeonites. That's serious. Can you clinch with that for a minute? Yeah. If you were Joshua, would you be paralyzed in fear? Mm. Would you be so devastated by last week's lack of discernment? You just sat in your tent and worked on your mashlomka? Which was really just a lament. You ready for another one? Oh, get it. How would you know? Like, how would you know that the Gibeonites were not lying about this event just like the past one? Oh, come on. But the thing is, the thing is, I mean, I'm talking about the thing is, Joshua had a saved mind. And Joshua kept in his mind that which saves at all times. Hallelujah. Look, there are many things that Joshua did not know. But there were at least two things that he did know. Deuteronomy 31, 7 gives us the first thing. Then Moses summoned Joshua and he said to him, In the sight of all of Israel, be strong and courageous. For you, you Joshua shall go with this people into the land that the Lord has sworn to their fathers to give them. You ready? And you, Joshua, shall put them in possession of it. That was a word from God. Joshua knew who he was. The Lord had told Joshua that Joshua was the one who would put Israel into possession of the land. Can I tell you that knowing your identity in the kingdom is the beginning of clarity during murky situations? Absolutely. This is kind of an important facet of Sophron. If you're going to keep your saved mind, you have to keep in your mind what God says about you at all times. How about Deuteronomy 31, 8? You only got to skip down one verse. We'll get another facet of Sophron. Deuteronomy 31, 8 It is the Lord who goes before you. He will be with you. He will not leave you or forsake you. 
do not fear or be dismayed. There's many times that that was said to the whole nation, but it was said several times to Joshua personally. Joshua knew who the Lord was to him. The Lord had told Joshua that he would never leave him, that he would never forsake him, that he would be with him. Knowing who your God is to you is the most empowering thing in the world during a murky situation. This is the second prong of Sophron. Keeping in your saved mind not only who you are to the Lord, but who the Lord is to you. The identity of Joshua was fixed by God in the mind of Joshua, and God used Moses to do it. The reality of God's character, the reliability of God's character, was fixed in Joshua's mind by God through the hands and words of Moses. These things made Joshua Sophron. He had a saved mind, and he kept in his mind the things that save. Remember, Joshua is the one that the word of God said was destined to defeat every enemy. Some enemies? No, every every enemy. No man will stand up against you, God told him. Joshua knows his God. And you didn't get to read it, but in chapter 9, Joshua did something. He swore in the name of his God. That they would protect the Gibeonites. This kind of makes Joshua's response easy, doesn't it? He knows who he is, a man that cannot lose. And he knows who his God is. And he swore in the name of his God who said, I'll always be with you. And I'll give you success wherever you go. Talk about clarity for a murky situation. Your identity and God's identity to you clears up things when you don't have a manifest word from God. You have the last one he gave you. Your identity and God's identity to you clears up mucky situations. Elder Eric, there is something else that is extraordinarily happening in Joshua chapter 10, verse 6. Tell me about it. But before we do, before I tell you, I want to share with you a prophecy that you gave to me at my wedding in 2019. Wait, wait. What year were you married? 2019. Man, African and Barbie. Yeah. And what we ended up with is a whole family set. And you got a future man. Y'all listen to this prophecy. Because Pastor Eric, Elder Eric, you've been telling me these things ever since I met you. This is what the prophecy says. The Lord says, brace yourself. For I am putting upon you a new anointing this day. For you shall shepherd your home, but you shall also shepherd my people. The days of contemplation are behind you. I note you for bold action, says the Lord. For you will be my battle axe in my hand. And I will lay waste to my enemies. See, the gates of hell will not stand against you. For I shall arm you with arrows. Your children shall possess the gates of your enemy. And I shall anoint you for this purpose. Your covenant is of my making. And I shall show signs and I shall show wonders. For I call you to be my shepherds, says the Lord. You know, that was in July. July? July of 2019? Yeah. My God, next week's going to be a good week, isn't it? Come on. We get to live in fulfilled prophecy. Yeah. What I love about all of this. Elder Eric, is that you've been speaking these things to me ever since I met you. Meeting you at coffee, in coffee shops, other places as well. You've been speaking to me about my function 
and who I am in Christ. You've been sowing into me the very seed of God's word and watering it time and time and time again that I might rise up into it. This is no different than what Moses did for Joshua. Moses was instilling the confidence into Joshua about his function and what God said Joshua will do. Moses spoke to him and reminded him often about what God is going to do through Joshua. And that's what you've done for me. I got to tell you, for those of you that are sowing into other people's lives and doing it consistently, boy, doesn't it do something special for you as you see those words start to become true? Yeah. There is a mutual edification of our faith when you impart something to another man. Watch it grow in them, and it reminds you that it is real in you as well. And it'll bring an old gray dog right back to resurrection life. LCM, what you're watching is one generation inextricably linked to another generation. This is how we have successive generations. I can tell you that I can relate to Joshua in this scenario. It's actually speaking to me right now as I'm preaching this message to you guys and I'm being moved by the Spirit of God. It's easy after you have failed, then succeeded, then failed, then succeeded, then failed to find yourself in such a mucky situation. But something is happening here, LCM. Somebody say something is happening. Something's happening. Specifically in this verse that speaks to who Joshua is. It speaks to everything that God was always aiming at. And it speaks to Joshua's identity and his destiny. So we're going to read Joshua 10 verse 6 again. And we're going to do it with a slide. One more time. LCM, check this out. And the men of Gibeon sent to Joshua at the camp in Gilgal, saying, Do not relax your hand from your servants. Come up to us quickly and save us and help us for all the kings of the Amorites who dwell in the hill country are gathered against us. We want you guys to catch something here. The man that these Gibeonites are calling to was born with the name Hoshea. Hoshea is how you say save or salvation. And the, the blue box on the left-hand side of the screen is how the word appears in the Hebrew manuscript of the birth name of Joshua. Elson, I want to tell you something. What if all of your mistakes, what if all of your failures, what if all of your problems, what if all of your difficulties were just allowed into your life so that the situation itself could call out to your actual function? See, the situation is calling his name. Yeah. The reason for which he was born. How do you look at the problems you're facing right now? Yeah. How do you evaluate when you've made mistakes? What if God's gathering them all together to call forth the very reason for which you were born? Do you have a med medical report that says you can't have children? That situation is calling out to your function. It's calling out to your identity, Nick Rosales. It's calling out to what God said that he will do. So rise up, man of God. Do you, have, do you have a calling? Do you have a destiny? Do you have things that God has spoken to you, but you're bombarded by thoughts? You stand up in who God says you are like Joshua and recognize that those situations are calling out to you so you can prove faithful and your God proves faithful and he testifies to what he says that he's going to do. LCM, I am convinced that nothing happens by coincidence or accident. Joshua knew who he was and he knew who his God was. 
Now the very situation, the situation where the five correlation of kings is literally calling out to his name and what he's about to do. My friends, we were born for the days we're living in right now. The situation that we find ourselves in, I'm talking about fighting for your children. Those are tough situations. Fighting for generational ministry. Fighting to settle in new countries. Fighting to settle within new responsibilities within this house. This situation is literally calling forth your name. It is calling forth the function for which you were born again. It is like heaven is saying, I've aligned things to call forth action-oriented faith from you. This is not a desperate situation. This is not a sad situation or a depressing situation. God has gathered all the obstacles into one place so that you can overcome them in one giant leap of faith. You remember that Moses didn't so much as change Joshua's name, but instead he added to it. What I mean is that Hoshea means salvation, and Moses added the beginning of the word Yahweh to it. So when you know who you are, and then you begin to act accordingly, Yahweh will add to your name by invading your function and empowering it. Hoshea became Yehoshia or Yehoshua. That's exactly what's going to happen in these next verses. They called out his given name and then God steps into his function with him for his new name. Verse 7. Yeah, that is good. I don't know. What, were y'all done at an hour and nine minutes? Do you, do you want to go sit with the old people at Luby's and talk about bread pudding? Do you want manna from heaven? Yes. Joshua chapter 10 verse 7. So Joshua went up from Gilgal. He and all the people of war with him. And all the mighty men of valor. I want you to notice that Joshua does not have a direct word from the Lord at this point. So what does he have? He knows who he is. Namely, he was born for salvation. He knows who his God is, namely the one who will never leave him or forsake him. Joshua is only armed with two things at this point. He knows who he is and he knows who his God is to him. And what did Joshua do with those two things? He got up and went up. He went up. He got on the move with those two things. He moved boldly and faithfully in the direction of the battle. This is Sophron. Joshua had a saved mind, and he kept that which saves in his mind. He was born for salvation and deliverance. He was born to put people into possession of the land. Now God has been so gracious to him. Somebody say, God's been good to me. God's been good to me. Say it again. God's been good to me. Say it louder. I can't hear you. God's been good to me. God has been so gracious to him. As to utilize his own mistakes to gather every enemy that he is supposed to face eventually onto one battlefield at one time. Whoa! God's been good to you? Yes. So you face a few enemies at one time. 
Joshua knew how to run with a saved mind and actions that would save the situation. He didn't see it as a terrible thing. He saw it as an opportunity. Yeah. Come on. LCM, I want to tell you, that how does the Lord react to such bold, audacious faith? Is the man pleased? Is the Lord pleased with the man when a man knows his purpose for which he was created? Is he pleased with that? Yeah. Yes. Is the Lord pleased with the man that knows who his God is to him? Does he delight in that? Yeah. LCM, the very next verse makes the answer very clear. Look at Joshua 10, verse 8. And the Lord said to Joshua, Do not fear them, for I have given them into your hands. Not a man of them shall stand before you. This is incredible. Elsie, check this out. What, what God just said to Joshua in Joshua 10, 8 is not a new word to Joshua. It's not a new revelation to Joshua. In fact, God speaks to Joshua the exact same word he gave him in Joshua chapter 1, that no man will be able to stand before you. All the days of your life. All LCM, it must mean that when you move forward in faith and you hear the situation, the circumstance, the obstacle, the difficulty, call it out to you and the very purpose for which you were born, you will find out that you have all of heaven's backing, LCM. Amen. LCM, we're telling you, the Lord is doing something extraordinary in our midst. We cannot wait to move forward. We have to move forward in faith and then see the word that God gives yes. us. Yes. LCM, it is important for you to note the vital role of Sophron here. Joshua did not get a word from God and then he marched. He started to march. He started to move his feet. He heard his name being called and his destiny and he started to move forward and then the word from God came. God spoke to the man who was moving. Yeah. God steered the man who was moving. Yeah. You got to get some action-oriented, victorious faith that is based on who you know that God made you to be and who He is to you. He will add clarity to the murky situation as you're moving. But He's not impressed with a stagnant, silent, stifled faith. Yeah. We keep hitting this over and over again. If God, somebody say God, God can take dust can take dust and breathe into it and create a living human being, a man. How much more can God help you when you believe and you see the situation calling out to you, Spencer McLean, and you start to move forward in faith? How much more can God give you a word that is given you before and move supernaturally on your behalf? All of heaven is backing the man that moves in faith. Yeah. LCM, this is Sophron. Joshua has a saved mind, and he kept that which saves in his mind so that he could act. And after he started moving LCM, God sent him more confirmation to what he already knew to be true. We want to tell you, Sophron, somebody say Sophron. It allows you to begin in action with what you already have. I'll say that again. Sophron allows you to begin in action with what you already know that you possess, which is a saved mind prepared for saving actions. LCM. Prepared for what kind of actions? Saving actions. That which will save the whole situation. Yeah. Our God, 
Our God, LCM, meets that kind of saving faith every single time. It's why he tells Moses in Exodus, why are you crying out to me? Tell the people to move forward. And as they move forward, what happened? The sea split. Hold up your right hand. Don't ignore me. Every one of you, hold up your right hand. Now place it on your own forehead. Say, mighty God, help me grasp what's about to be said. Amen. Verse 9. So Joshua came upon them suddenly. So Joshua came upon them suddenly. Having marched up all night from Gilgal. Keeping Sophron allows you to surprise the enemy. When you already know who God says you are. And you know who God is to you. Then you can get moving right away. Too long has the sleepy Christian world neglected this kind of action-oriented victorious faith. Neither God nor the enemy is impressed with faithless deliberation. We have to learn to stifle our warring inward thoughts and stand up and move in surprising faith. We were born for the all-night march. That's right. Us and Lionel Richie. All night long, we were fashioned to walk right through the valley of death and do it without fear because we know the God that is with us. That's better than Samuel Jackson. Is there a man in here who wants to learn to catch the enemy by surprise? I do. Then we must end our paralysis by analysis. Your fear of making a mistake is both cowardly And it is paralyzing. And instead, embrace who God says you are. And embrace who you know your God is to you. It's time for action. And the Lord is calling men and women of this congregation to victorious, faith-filled action. My God, it's time to get up and march. Check out Joshua chapter 10, verse 10. And the Lord. Somebody say, the Lord threw them into a panic before Israel who struck them with a great blow at Gibeon and chased them by the way of the ascent of Beth Horon and struck them as far as Azekah and Makedah. Oh man, there's something we want you guys to catch here. How many kings came up again against the Gibeonites? You mean to tell me that Joshua is in a target-rich environment? And that God set the stage. He brought those enemies together so Joshua can mow every single one of them down. I also want to tell you that this entire situation that's happening here in Joshua chapter 10 is not even in the slightest surprising to the Lord. It surprises the enemies of the Lord, but to the Lord, he's not surprised. What you find out is he is the author of how he is lining up everything that takes place in Joshua chapter 10. And what we see is that when Joshua starts to move in faith, We see the Lord is already ready at hand to fight on behalf of Joshua. So, LCM, we have a question for you. What situation in your life is the Lord waiting for you to step out in bold, action-oriented faith? Yeah, come on, Ibrahim. The situation is calling to you because we know the reason that you were born. Come on, on. Quinn. The situation has been lined up for you. And this is what you were born for. 
LCM, this is what we are. Rick Lawhon, your best days are ahead of you. We need you. We love you. We want you. And you're going to do damage in surprising ways to the enemy. JT Moloch, the best day. We're going to strengthen a whole generation of leaders. The situation is calling to you. It's calling to you. But you got to know your name in the kingdom. You got to know who your God is to you. We're just going to keep going with this. Chris Rosora, I told you that this year is going to be a breakout year for you. And I read to you 2 Samuel, what happened in David's life. He says that God has broken out against his enemies, but he had to be put in a situation with the Philistines that brought out that so fraud, saving kind of mind to himself in the whole situation. And that God broke out against his enemies. So the question to you, my brother. What circumstances are calling out to you, my friend? What obstacles are calling out to you? What difficulties, what has been laid in your path that is calling out to your destiny, to your function, to your identity, so that you can stand up with safe faith, act, safe actions, and watch God show up and break through in your very life? Guillermo, the same is for you, my friend. You, the Lord has placed you in this church. I remind you time and time and again that I was standing right there on Christmas Day with you. And I watched the Ancient of Days take his spirit and put it inside of you and filled you with his very spirit. There's no obstacle. There's no difficulty. There's no situation in your life that can stop you as you move out in faith because you'll find out that you have your father's approval. LCM. What is calling out to your function? Your identity. The very purpose for that which you were born. Now is the time to answer the call, LCM. It is the reason for which you were actually born again. Oh, come on, man. Are you all with us? Yeah. This is about to get better. You got some stamina? Yeah. You're not, you're not one uh, chapter chumps, are you? <laughs> hey, let's pick up in verse 11. You ready for it? And as they fled before Israel. And as they fled before Israel. While they were going down the ascent to Beth Horon, the Lord threw down large stones from heaven on them as far as Azka. And they died. <laughs> there were more who died because of the hailstones. Then the sons of Israel killed with the sword. Yeah, look really carefully at this wording. I know you'll want to get to the stones part. <laughs> and they fled before Israel. Come on, come on. Yeah. Do you remember at the beginning of this message, we told you that Joshua was once a young man? Yeah. <laughs> he was an aide in the time of Moses. Yeah. Well, Joshua is now an elder. And he is full of Sophron. Just like the New Testament declares that an elder must be the example of. It's important to note that Joshua has seen this exact behavior many times before. That's what made him an elder. In fact, the events are written about in a psalm of ascent. Can y'all keep a finger in chapter 10 of Joshua? And flip to how we walk faithfully in our historical context. Yeah. Can you get to Psalm 114? Yeah. Can you do it with some zeal? Somebody say Sofron when you get there. You're definitely going to want to see this. Oh, this is so good. In fact, I'm looking back there at Adam and Jess. Yeah. I don't know why, Adam. I like you. Maybe it was that we were hanging out at a bonfire. 
I, we don't have to tell everybody else. We were just vaping by a car. <laughs> and uh, I want you to grab hold of what this can mean for you. Come on. Yeah. Come on. I, I care whether or not you get this. I don't have expectations of you. I just care whether you understand what is possible in this verse. Amen. Watch this. Verse 1. When Israel went out from Egypt and the house of Jacob from a people of a strange language, Judah became, Judah became his sanctuary, Israel his dominion. I want you to remember that Joshua was in the assembly of Judah that became the sanctuary of God. And how did it do it? As they went out from Egypt. They became something new when their foot, feet started to walk in a new direction. They became the dwelling of God. How does somebody become the dwelling of God? Well, they have to begin to know who God called them to be, the destiny that he has for them. And they have to know who their God is to them. This allows you to boldly march towards the sea in action-oriented, victorious faith, and you literally become the dwelling of God. You can't be the sanctuary by sitting in this sanctuary. A sanctuary is a place you keep birds. Like, go to the zoo. They have an aviary sanctuary, okay? What the church of the living God is is are, are those who are filled with his presence to the point that they are moving in a direction and he inhabits them. That is what a sanctuary of God looks like. Faith that does not move is faith that cannot display God's presence. Joshua was in the crowd trapped against the anvil of the Red Sea and the hammer of the Egyptians. But he was in the assembly who stilled their inner man because God and Moses told them to. And they trusted their God as they marched. Now, here's the part you have to get. What did the sea do? Okay. It did far more than split. It did something else. Look at this in verse 3 of Psalm 114. The sea looked and fled. Jordan turned back. The mountains skipped like rams, the hills like lambs. I want, to, I want you guys to catch something here. Joshua 10 records that there are five Canaanite kings fleeing from Joshua's ac action-oriented faith. This is something that Joshua learned from the Red Sea crossing. He practiced it at the Jordan crossing. Now he's seen it in the battlefield. And notice what verse 3 says. The sea did not split. I said to split early, and I'm wrong because the scripture is right. The sea did not split. The sea looked and then fled from Joshua's faith in motion. It fled from his faith in motion, LCM. And I want to tell you that there are a few things that, more than a few things, actually a plethora of things that I've learned in this body. And, and I've learned specifically from you, Pastor Eric. There's a few quotes that I have from you over the course of my seven years. Oh, no. That I want you guys to hear. Are, are they children appropriate? <laughs> oh, they're, they're children appropriate. They're also adult appropriate as well. Okay. They're okay. quotes that will help us get moving in the right direction to have Sophron of mine. It's mind. the Chronicles version. Yeah, listen to this. Somebody say quote number one. 
The secret of the kingdom is to start more than you stop. The secret of the kingdom is to start more than you stop. This is the heart and attitude of Micah 7. That don't gloat over me, my enemy. Though I sit in darkness, the Lord is going to be my light. LCM, you have to start more than you stop in the kingdom. Here's another quote. Somebody say quote number two. You cannot sit and pray about what you know is wrong. You have to get out and do what you know is right. You can't sit and just pray. You can't sit and just think. You actually, actually, you actually have to move forward in faith and know that your God is going to meet you there. What about quote number three? It says this. If you want to harvest, then you are going to have to cross the river at flood stage. Now where you can walk on it and it's just barely hovering over your boots or your sandals or whatever it is you're wearing, your feet. You're not wearing your feet. You have feet. But if you're like Pastor Piro, you don't have your shoes on. But listen up. If you have to, if you want to harvest LCM, does anybody want to harvest in here? You have to cross the river at flood stage. It's almost like the Lord never walks us into simple no, nice circumstances. No, he puts us in difficult circumstances to test our faith and then show that he is bigger than our circumstances, bigger than our obstacles, as we have Sophron in mind that saves us and the entire situation. Yeah. All right, listen up to this last quote. You do not need more anointing. Rather, you need the will to act. Somebody say act. act. And the anointing will follow. This is the example we're seeing here in Joshua chapter 10. God doesn't speak to him and say, hey, hey, go save the Gibeonites. No, no, no. He knows his name is being called out by the very situation. He knows his name is being called out by the Gibeonites and he stands up in faith, moves forward in action, has so front of mind that which saves and he keeps in mind which saves him and the whole situation and that God speaks to him. God gives him that word. We're telling LCM, you don't need more anointing. You need the will to act and to move forward in faith and then the anointing oil will flow upon you. I got to be really honest with you. I don't remember those quotes. But as I hear him telling them, it is reminding me of who I am. This is the benefit of genuine relationship. I may have sowed some identity or helped identify who God made him to be. But even as he's standing here right now, he's reminding me of who I was born to be. Church, we're never going to be without the spirit of action-oriented, victorious faith in this house. We work hard as a team to cultivate Joshua's. And they're becoming Moses to a whole new generation. Our finest hours are upon us right now. What does it mean to be Sophron? And what does it mean to be the sanctuary of God? It all involves knowing who you are and who your God is to you. This compels action that demands a response from the enemy. I'm dying to get to the rest of Psalm 114. Listen to this. What ails you, O sea, that you flee? This has an Elijah-like quality. Shout louder. Maybe your God can't hear you. Shout louder. Maybe he's on the potty. 
There is a mocking attitude to this. Looking back at those mistakes, at those problems, at that hammer and anvil, because they moved in faith, they could mock that situation. Today's giants are tomorrow's laughable situations. What ails you, O sea, that you flee? O Jordan, that's a different event that you turn back. O mountains that you skip like little rams. Or hills like lambs. Look at verse 7. This is the answer to it all. Tremble, O earth, at the presence of the Lord. At the presence of the God of Jacob. Yes, but where was the presence found? In the people whose faith made God, made themselves the sanctuary of God. As they began to move, God responded to their faith. And nothing in all the creation will stand up to the very manifest presence of God. When you still your inner fears, when you rise in faith of who you are called to be and who your God is, when you act in faith, when you become the sanctuary and manifest presence of God on earth, nothing in all creation stands up to the manifest presence of God in your faith-filled actions. That's how I can say Even now, God will give you what you ask. Even now, your brother will rise. Even now, you will put your foot on the neck of the enemy. Hey, let's read verse 11 one more time. We're going to have to get moving. Are you being blessed? You can go listen to a sitcom sermon anywhere you want. We're trying to see your lives transform. Verse 11 And as they fled, they ran. Why did you flee, little girl? And as they fled before Israel. Jim, this reminds me of that homeless guy that was so tough until we got out of the car. He also was no longer injured. He ran like an Olympic sprinter. (laughs) And as they fled before Israel, they were going down the ascent of Beth Haran. The Lord, this is hilarious, threw down large stones from heaven on them as far as Azka, and they died. There were more who died because of the hailstones than the sons of Israel killed with the sword. If you want to understand that these enemies fled, just as the Red Sea did, just as the Jordan did, they fled before the manifest presence of the Lord, demonstrated an action-oriented, victorious faith. Joshua had seen this from his youth, and he's seeing it all the way into his old age. This only happens when you're Sophron. You have to have a saved mind. You have to keep in your mind that which saves the whole situation at all times. Now, did you catch that the stones fell from heaven and happened to strike only the enemy with perfect precision? There were large stones, by the way. Yeah, God can fling rocks. Those stones, it'll be a whole nother sermon some other time. They were likely launched into the upper atmosphere during the Noahic flood. When the great springs of the deep let loose, we're not seeing meteorites uh, coming from outer space. You're seeing them return to the earth from their origin. Okay. What's happening here is all the way back in Noah's day, these were held in reserve. For such a time as they would be needed by men and women who possessed earth 
earth-shaking faith and became the manifest presence of God on earth. Men and women who possess sophron, who possess confidence in their calling and the one who called them. Those who would manifest the presence of God in their saving actions. Those things were in orbit, just waiting for the day that somebody would step forward in faith and then heaven would back them. Is heaven waiting with all the artillery of God? Is it waiting for you to take your faith-filled stand? See, I do. I really believe in my heart. What good is that if it doesn't show up in your feet? Well, I really, I feel, I don't care how you feel, and I'm not sure God does. Are you marching? Are you marching through the night? Say, well, we really feel called to this? Then do it. What are you waiting for? Well, we really, are you waiting for permission to be the person God made you to be? You don't need permission to be the person God made you to be. You're going to have to stifle your inner thoughts. You're going to have to stand up into who you are and who God is. You're going to have to move boldly and manifest the presence of God in your actions. LCM, we're going to finish this chapter and then we're going to have a call and response. This is Joshua 10 verse 12. At that time, Joshua spoke to the Lord in the day when the Lord gave the Amorites over to the sons of Israel. And he said in the sight of Israel, son, stand still at Gibeon. And moon in the valley of Ajalon. And the sun stood still. And the moon stopped. Until the nation took vengeance on their enemies. Is it now written in the book of Jashar? The sun stopped in the midst of heaven. And did not hurry to set for about a whole day. There had been no day like it before or since. When the Lord heeded the voice of a man. For the Lord fought for Israel. So Joshua returned. And all Israel with him to the camp at Gilgal. Elsom, this is extraordinary. We want you to think about what's happening here. Think about the confidence. Think about the zeal. Think about the prayer that Joshua prayed, the audacity of his prayer that we just read. What would you do, LCM? How would you act? What actions would you take if you knew that you could not lose? Did you, that you could not lose? LCM, did you notice? That the sun and the moon stopped their God-ordained function because they recognized the manifold presence inside of Joshua and the nation of Israel? This kind of attitude, LCM, this kind of confidence is rising in our midst. It's an attitude, it's a confidence that causes the creation, the sun, and the moon to serve as a twofold witness about what God has placed inside of that man. I want you to get hold of this. The enemy may say things to you that are in fact true. You screwed up in this chapter. You screwed up in that chapter. But it's not all that's true about you. You need to learn to take that two-prong attack and say, I got a two-prong solution for you, buddy. Weapons of righteousness in my right hand and left and two witnesses in the heavens. They're going to pause while I beat you as fine as the dust of the earth. Rise up in your faith. You're going to have to learn to clinch, turn, mount an offensive. We cannot sit back and wait to do what you were born to do. You don't need permission. You don't need somebody to tell you it's okay. If you know who you are and you know who your God is, you already know it's okay. LCM, why is it like men like Elijah or Elisha 
Elisha specifically can pray that the Lord will blind an entire army and has no doubt that God is going to do it. It's because the man knows who he is. He knows who his God is to him. And so he moves forward in faith. LCM, when a man knows his identity and know who God has called him to be, he can pray these kind of prayers. And we want to tell you, what prayers is creation waiting for you to pray, LCM, so that as you move forward in your faith, the creation can testify, like Psalm 19 can testify as a twofold witness of the manifest presence of God that is at work inside of you. Remember in Genesis, he put the dominion in the hands of men. This belongs to us, and creation is waiting until we rise in faith-filled actions, and creation is going to testify as a result of the manifest presence in our lives of God. Church, I want to tell you, this is Sophron. To have a saved mind and to keep in mind that which saves the situation at all times. I'd like to invite the worship team to come up here, which will give you some encouragement that we're closing. <laughs> we're preaching our hearts out. We also happen to live this message daily and demonstrate it before you for decades. You don't need permission to be the person that God's called you to be. The sun which governs the day and the moon which governs the night actually stood still in the heavens as a twofold witness that action, faith-filled men stood and manifested the presence of the creator of them. I don't think you understand how powerful a man who knows who he is to God I'm not talking about positive thinking. So if you have value in the fact that you're fit, first off, you're stupid. And the second is you need to get an actual interaction with God. If you have great value in something that is carnal, that's not knowing who you are. In fact, that's the definition of insecurity. If you know who you are because God has revealed your function. Not just some lame mezuzah that you made up to fit in with the crowd. You know who he's made you to be. You can move and God will manifest himself in you. And the creation will obey him inside of you. You got to know who you are. To know who you are actually starts with knowing who God is to you. It's your interaction with your father that teaches you who you are. It's his words to you that build who you are. He's actually the one that names you by function. Are you waiting for us to tell you who you are? We can aid in that, but nobody can fix for you your lack of intimacy with the father. You have to do that. And then we can supplement it. We can aid it. Joshua was born with the name Hoshea. He was born as a saving, delivering agent. What Moses did was add to the identity God had already given him. Okay? We can't create for you an identity. What we would be doing is training a goat to pretend to be a sheep. What you actually need is an, a conversion. A real life transformation that stamps on your soul. 
who God is to you and who you are to him, then discipleship works wonderfully. At this altar, you may need to repent for having lost, oh, y'all aren't going to like this, having lost your damn minds. We've been talking about a saved mind all day long. You know what a damned mind is? One that can't see God working in the situation. It's not just pessimism, it's damnation. You might need to repent for having lost your mind. Your sophron or saved mind. You might have, might have to ask God to empower you to regain the eternal perspective that says how to save the situation. You can't give up on your fight. You can't accept things that you know are wrong. You have to repent and ask God to empower your mind to see it rightly so that you can act in faith. At this altar, you might need to ask God to affirm your actual, key word here, actual heavenly identity. Some of you have set your sights on things that simply are not what God put you on the earth to do. And you got to sort that with your king. Because it leaves you out of your mind because your life's not meeting the expectation you had for it when you're actually right in track for what God finds you useful for. You need your identity from the king. You need to allow him. Some of the words that you guys are standing on are not correct. They've never been correct. You made them up and the fact that you've held them for a very long time doesn't make them correct. You have to ask God to help you straighten that out. Or you can just be mad at us that we don't see what you say God says about you and there's no evidence of in your life. You need your actual heavenly identity. You know what that'll let you do? Take extraordinary confidence in who he made you to be. Amen. Find extraordinary purpose. Find fulfillment in normal daily tasks. At this altar, you may know who you are, which is a great thing. You may know who God is to you. But the truth is, something has just kind of chained your fervor, your zeal, your faith. It could be the contemplation of all the different various ways you've screwed it up. It doesn't matter what it is. You don't need permission to be who God called you to be. You don't need recognition for you to be who God called you to be. You need to let yourself off those chains of shame and guilt. you got to get over it. Okay? Now, I know that the vast majority of you will run to the altar for that third off option. Nothing's wrong. I'm just, I'm just chained. I just need a little liberation. Give me a little personal therapy, the Holy Ghost. Help me motivate myself. The vast majority of people who are wearing chains come from the first two problems. You either don't know who you are before God because you've identified it wrong or he's never made it clear to you. Or you don't know quite who God is to you. I want you to think deeply about those three things. I suspect that for most of you, you were hearing something. You're like, oh, that, yeah, I think that is me. Then you hear the next one and you're like, oh, there's a little of that too. You hear the third one and you're like, oh, that's more acceptable. I'll run and do that. My God, if you're looking for what's acceptable in the eyes of men, you'll never be acceptable before our God. 
This is the moment where you can stand, become the sanctuary of God with every utensil arranged where God wanted it to be. Yeah, Grace, you may have set some of your ambitions on things that don't belong in your life. I actually think your whole family does that. You should listen to your husband. He will guide you. This message should set you free. Yeah, I could keep doing this, but I'd rather that the Holy Ghost did it. Phillips, I think you already know what we're talking about. There's got to be a whole new stand in your life. Her life depends upon it. Would you all stand to your feet? Elsim, as we pray, you already know what to do. I want to tell you, don't wait. Don't wait till I start praying. Start moving. Father, you alone are worthy. Lord, you alone are worthy. Father, we say here and now, what you've said from the very beginning, Lord God, Father, I'm asking that you would breathe upon your people. Father, we're not asking for your presence to show up. We're not asking that you will manifest your presence. Father, we're saying here and now, would you help us to get into your presence that's already here? Lord, would you help us to get into the mind of Sophron? Would you help us, Lord, to get into the mind of what your word says about us? Father, break chains this morning. Father, liberate my brothers and my sisters this morning. Father, the lies from the enemy, Lord, would you quench them this morning? Lord, minister to your people. Breathe life upon your people. Lord, like Ezekiel chapter 37, breathe life into your people again. Father, do what you will here in this service because all glory, all honor, all majesty goes to your name, mighty God. In the name of Jesus, we pray.